Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. High atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN. The Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is Monday, November 14th, and this is episode 784 of the Survival Podcast. It is Monday, 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 and that means we are doing a listener feedback show. This is where you find an article, or you have a question, or you have a comment, or you think I'm a jerk, or whatever it is, and you send me an email with question for Jack, or comment for Jack, or commentary for Jack, or video for Jack, or Jack, you're a jerk in the subject line, and you send that email to jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. And about 200 to 400 of you will do that a day, and I will only be able to put some of it on the air, but uh, I will try to work as many of these things as I can on as many varied subjects as I can on the air on the Monday show. So if you want to get on the air, that's the way to do it. Again, my email address is jack at com. There is no special, super secret, uh, insider-only email address for me. That's the email address that most of my stuff comes to every day. And if you want to get a hold of me, even if you had my cell phone number, that email address is a better means to get in touch with me and actually have me see what you want me to know than my own phone number. I'm more likely to read your email than answer the phone if I don't recognize your number. All right, with that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors before we get into your feedback. Sponsor of the day number one today, Sawtooth Tactical. I love Sawtooth Tactical because they give you all the stuff you need to live that tactical, cool lifestyle. From SOE Tactical gear to Magpul magazines and everything you can think of in between, Sawtooth Tactical is veteran-owned, veteran-operated, and will deliver exactly what you order to you quickly, efficiently, and at a great fair price. Exactly, exactly what you would expect from an operation run by a veteran. Uh, and, of course, really an American company up there in the wilds of Idaho. So check out Sawtooth Tactical today. Remember, you can find their banner and the banners of all our sponsors at the survivalpodcast.com. You'll see their banners in the right-hand margin. That way you'll know you're... dealing with an actual survival podcast sponsor and not some random impersonator. Next up today, ready-made resources. All the resources you need for your prepping ready to go. Point, click, buy, and they will deliver them to your door with great pricing and great service. I got a special announcement for them. They are doing their last Mountain House sale of the year. Uh, from the 14th through the 20th this month, they're doing 25% off all Mountain House. That will be the last sale on Mountain House they do this year. So it would be a good day if you've been thinking about stocking up the long-term food storage stuff to get by ready-made resources and take advantage of that great sale. Next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And the Survival Podcast is now available on the Prepper Podcast Radio Network. If you go by the site, you'll find ways to link off to all of those things. 
Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You get discounts to over 29 different uh, vendors. And uh, those are supporting vendors that offer discounts. Some are little discounts like 5%. Some are huge discounts like 50%. Some are great programs like Vic over at uh, SafeCastle gives you a $49 lifetime membership absolutely for free that gives you big discounts on everything he sells for the rest of your natural life. So it's really a great program, and what it comes down to is you're supporting the show at $0.20 an episode. So when you turn the the iPod off or the computer off at the end of the day and you think to yourself, man, that was worth two dimes, Uh, that show is worth 20 cents. Consider joining the MSB, and remember, if you're military, law enforcement, or Peace Corps, active due to your prior service, email me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com, with details of your service. Uh, just tell me who you know, who you are, where you served, and what you did, what your job was. Just a little, you know, two or three sentences, and I will send you a special discount code, a national service discount code uh, that applies to uh, to renewing memberships, not just your initial first time, uh, the way I do when I put them on sale. And with that, we are ready to get into the first question today. And in this one, I'm cheating. It's one that I dug up for you on my own because I think it's important that you know this right now uh, and you know what people with billions and billions and billions of dollars are doing with their money, and they're buying stocks and equities. Yeah, they're buying stocks and equities. See, I've been telling you that a major economic crash is coming, that what we saw uh, with 2008 was a joke compared to where we're eventually headed. I've been telling you that municipal bonds uh, will begin to default. We'll talk about that a bit today. I've been telling you that the worst is yet to come, but I've also been telling you something some of you guys are having a real hard time accepting. Not yet. That there's one big craps game left to go. There's one big surge, and that could last a year. It could last two years. It could last five years. It could last even more than that. I'm not sure, but there's one last go here. And I've also been telling you that the stock market would end up up for the year of 2011. I don't know if it'll end up up from it to the highest point it was in 2011, but where we started January 1st and where we'll end on December 31st, those two numbers will be not the same and the end of the year will be better than the beginning of the years. And with all the Greece and Italy and all this other stuff, uh, people are having a hard time accepting and believing just that. Well, Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett in the third quarter invested some money, just a little bit of money. Mostly in stocks and equities throughout the U.S. markets and the world. And uh, so how much money did he invest in this quarter? $23.9 billion. Buffett went in $23.9 billion into the market. Let me read a little bit, and this story is legit. It's on CNBC, so it's on mainstream news. One of Warren Buffett's favorite rules of investing is that the lower the price gets, the more likely he is to buy. We now have another indication Berkshire Hathaway was indeed doing more buying as stock prices plunged in the third quarter. According to Bloomberg's analysis, the latest quarterly SEC filings from Berkshire shows the company invested U.S. dollars uh, totaling $23.9 billion in the quarter, the most in at least 15 years. Bloomberg says that it includes almost uh, $7 billion in equity securities uh, from $3.61 billion in quarter two and just $834 million in the first quarter. Bloomberg notes that in mid-August, Buffett told Charlie Rose that Berkshire had spent more than, more on stocks on August 8th than any other day this year. That's the day the stock fell more than 6% in the wake of Standard & Poor's decision to downgrade the U.S. government's rating from AAA. So the day that everybody flipped out, Buffett bought. 
In a live interview on CNBC on September 30th, Buffett told Andrew Ross Storkin, quote, we've bought in the last quarter, the third in the The third in the current quarter, we bought net $4 billion of common equities, which was similar to the total amount we bought in the first half. The cheaper stocks get, the better I like to buy them, whether it's our stock or somebody else's, end quote. We'll get more precise numbers a, a week from today when Berkshire releases its end of Q3 snapshot of its portfolio on publicly traded equities. And remember that for the two previous quarterly reports, Berkshire has received the SEC's permission to keep some of its holdings confidential, which can be a sign it's been building a position or positions and wanted to keep copycat buyers away for a while. So basically, they'll tell you how much they're spending, but they're not telling you exactly what companies they're buying. They got some special permission, which when you spend billions of dollars, you can buy special permission for yourself and not be what most public traded companies are, which is full disclosure. Um, so what does this tell us? This tells us that Warren Buffett, one of the world's most successful investors of all times, is telling us that he believes to the tune of $24 billion roughly just in quarter uh, three alone this year that now is a good time to be buying stocks. Does that mean that we should expect the stock market to tank in the next month or two? And the answer is no, it doesn't. It means that we should expect the market to do well over the next six months to year at least because that's what this guy does. And trust me, if something's going to go down, he's going to know about it. Now, you think this man knows how to buy and peddle influence? Now, I know somebody with the conspiracy tinfoil hat on there out there is going, well, here's what he could do. He could put $23 billion here, and maybe he put $40 billion over here to short the market, and then he'll pull his investment out, and that'll cause a collapse, and then he'll make... You can't do that. You can't do it with that much money as a publicly traded company. The man can only buy so much secrecy from himself. Um, I believe very, very strongly that there's a lot of shenanigans that are going to go on. I believe that they can postpone the end game to 2015, 2016, maybe even 2020. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know that it is. I know that there is a limit to what can happen. I know that Italy and Greece right now are showing us our own future, and our own future may be far worse. Italy just got more debt. They were able to get more money pumped into Italy, right? But they had to pay much higher interest rates than they've ever paid before to get investors to give them the money. That's what it looks like when you're running to your end game. That's, that's exactly what it looks. And Italy's too big for a bailout. So, you know, and we also have Spain and Portugal aren't doing real great either. And Greece is still there. So I actually have a lot of concern about those nations imploding and what that does to the global economy. If they do, um, there will be no EU bailout to the tune of what we did here in, in North America. I don't think they can do that. Uh, I really don't. And remember, we bailed out banks. These are sovereign debts that are defaulting. These are debts by uh, by the bonds that the nation has sold. It's a, it's a little bit different to do that. So I'm really not sure where we're going to go from here, but my gut has always been that one way or another, This stuff gets kind of pushed to the side, swept under the covers, hidden and, and, and covered up. And Carl Denninger, who runs the market ticker dot, or market-ticker.org is actually his website, would completely disagree with me. He'd say this is all about to happen. And he's a pretty switched on guy. But my gut tells me, and then when I look at what Buffett's doing, it tells me even more so this is not a man that's into losing money. right? He's, he's made some of the best plays Uh, that anybody's made, and he's done it for decades. And it seems like his belief now is 
All this instability is creating opportunity. And if it's opportunity on the buy side versus the short side, well, that means that for one reason or another, the economy is going to continue to improve from an investor's viewpoint. That doesn't mean the unemployment rate is going to drop a lot, but companies will continue to lean out expenses and make record profits, and that's the time to be investing. Am I telling you to go put all your money in the stock market now? No, I'm telling you to do what makes sense for you based on your risk tolerances, your goals, your objectives, and your analysis, and your conversations with whoever you decide is your best financial advisor. And that is not me. I am not your financial advisor. What I am saying is those of you that are in panic mode, that think your dollar is going to become worthless by the end of this year, that think the end game is ready around the corner, this tells you that it's smart to just start living your life in a sane, rational way and understand the day of reckoning is out there somewhere, but right now it's not living for today, it's building for tomorrow with some confidence. That's what I want to tell you because I've got some scary dark stuff to talk about here uh, eventually as well. Um, Next one, though. Here's a guy with some tips for us on bug out bags. Uh, this is from Tyler. Tyler says, Hey, Jack, because of your show, I began prepping. And a bug out bag seemed like a logical first step. I wanted to share a few tricks I have employed to save space or add backup gear. Don't know if you've seen these before, so hopefully not wasting your time. First, I stitched a piece of char cloth on the inside wall of my bag like a mini pocket with a small uh, like a mini pocket with a small fire striker inside then stitched shut i used twine to stitch which gives me backup uh fire gear and extra cordage i'm also planning to stitch uh stitching lengths of paracord down the front of each shoulder strap maybe two lengths stitched to the sides of the bag being careful not to compromise durability this gives you several feet of cordage adds little weight and takes up no space I will also be stitching a length into the pocket of my bug out pants in the in the in the bag. Tough to have too much cordage. Just a thought. I just thought I'd share some ideas. Uh, let me give you some other ideas. Number one, if you go down to like Walmart and you buy a reel of tarred line, tarred like tarred and feathered tarred line, I think you'll get in a one reel of it. It's like 500 feet. And it's like four bucks, and it's better for every single thing you need cordage for. Uh, than paracord is. I don't dislike parachute cord. I like to wear my little bracelets, and I'll tell you some more things about parachute cord. But that little piece, right, will go in your bag, and any space that it takes up, there's a hole in the middle of it. There's like a cardboard tube. You can stuff stuff in there. It'll give it back to you. It weighs almost nothing, and it's 500 feet, and it's better for lashing. It's better for making snares. If you can think of it, it's probably better than parachute cord. Uh, as an It holds together better when you, when you tie a knot in it, etc. That doesn't mean I don't like parachute cord. On the parachute cord, here's the first thing that everybody out there needs to do to make sure you're carrying parachute cord with you at all times. Get every pair of shoes and boots you own, remove your shoe and boot laces, and replace them with parachute cord of a color that doesn't make your shoes look like you're retarded. If you do that, you will always have parachute cord with you. And you'll get some of the inherent advantages of parachute cord in that you have those seven inside strands. If you needed cordage and all you had was your boot laces, you could use your boot lace. You take your boot lace off, or maybe you cut a piece off of it to use if it's a small piece of cord as you need and try to keep your boots still working for you. All right? And then you go out and you use your boot laces. If you have parachute cord, you pull your boot lace out of your boot, you cut the, the end of the parachute cord that you've burned shut on both sides to release the cords on the inside, you pull your seven cords out, you set them to the side, you burn uh, the ends of your, jet, your, your uh, parachute cord jacketing, 
so that they won't uh, won't fray on you. And if you don't have anything to light with, fine, but you should have some type, sort of fire. Uh, but you, you, you send them back so that they will not uh, fray back. So you don't want that stuff fraying back. You put it right back in your boot, and the jacket of that parachute cord is more than strong enough to function as a boot lace for a long damn time. Longer than the average boot lace, even with the cores removed. Now you've got seven pieces of cordage that you can use for whatever you need. If, since you have two feet, I'm you know, assuming most of you were born with two feet, you have 14 of them if you need it. So now you've got parachute cord in your shoes, uh, in your boots, and what have you, and I pretty much don't go anywhere without wearing at least shoes or boots. So there's, there's a way that you can do this without stitching the stuff in. And I do want to caution you guys something about the parachute cord, the bracelets, the lanyards, the wrappings, and all this stuff of parachute cord. What I'd like you to do today, if you've always said to yourself, well, if I ever need the cordage that I'm carrying on my keychain or my bracelet, and again, folks, I carry it too. I'm not putting it down. Go take one apart today and see how long it takes you and how much effort it takes to take you know, a, a, a Cobra knot, uh, what do you call it, Solomon Bar knot bracelet apart. It takes you longer than you think it will. So it's there, it's usable, but it makes a lot of sense for us to create corded situations for ourselves that we don't have to undo stitching or undo bindings or whatever. And that's why, especially for a bug-out bag, a, a, a roll of card line from Walmart is one of the best investments that you'll ever make. I'm not putting down Tyler's ideas. There are actually some pretty cool ideas. I like the idea of, of adding cordage here and there and what have you and having uh, it not lost. And there's a, there is... Uh, a, a fundamental reality when it comes to an impro improvisation situation. Cordage is something you can make, but it takes time and effort. And if you all can have it with you, it's so light and you can carry so much of it for so little effort, it would save you all the time you would spend making cordage. If you need two or three feet, I mean, you know, in an urban situation, you can always find a wire or a cord or something you can use. In a, uh, a situation out in the woods, you can always find something with strands and you can make some of your own cordage and you should learn that skill. But if making 500 feet of cordage, you're going to be sitting around for days messing around with it by yourself if you're alone. Uh, where you can go pick it up for four bucks and it'll take up less space than a deck of cards. Just a thought. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, take the next one. This comes from Sean. A couple of people sent me this one. And uh, I'll have to really put a link to this for it to, to really hit home for you guys. Uh, this is on Engadget, which is a really cool, you know, kind of techie blog. And the title of it is called Honey at Home. Phillips Urban Beehive Shrinks Your Ecological Footprint and Increases Holes on Belt. Well, I don't know about all that. It is sugar, after all. It's a first world issue, running out of honey when we need just a little more to sweeten up that bowl of oatmeal or cup of coffee. Does anybody out there put honey in your coffee? It just doesn't sound good to me, and I'm a coffee drinker. I like honey and tea. Uh, just a side note, obviously, here. But does anybody do that? Coffee and honey. and ugh. Anyway, what we need is a constant supply of the golden stuff, and Phillips has thankfully come up with an urban beehive to provide precisely that. The latest addition to the company's germaphobe, unfriendly microbial home uh, concept The system is a half flower pot, half hive, with bees able to travel between the between flower pollinator and and this is really weird. It says your domestic honey factory that's struck through, so there's a strike through that. Uh, their honeycomb house, honey can be tapped from the base with a 
smoking system in place to calm the bees before opening the hive. Now, if Phillips could fashion something to keep us in a constant supply of maple syrup, then maybe even bakery dreams have a future after all. And you have to look at this picture, and it's only a concept. I don't think they've produced one. Uh, a couple things about it. One, I don't know this is the best thing for the bees. I, I really am not sure. The lady's also pulling on a stem that comes out the bottom. I guess that's supposed to be where honey would come out. I mean, I, I I'm not sure about that. Um, or if that's how you release smoke. And it's like, it really looks cool. It's like a beautiful, beautiful piece of artwork this, uh, this, 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 this hive is. And uh, it's like an amber glass thing. And it does look cool. And I think that could be really neat. And if you could put in a hive where people wouldn't even have to remove cones and maybe just drain honey from the hive and, you know, know how much they can take from their hive at any one time, it could be a cool idea. I just don't know that this works for bees. I don't know that this design is bee friendly. It doesn't look bee friendly to me. To me, it looks way too exposed, way too open. I've seen hives where there's like a one glass wall to them or whatever, but there's always places inside the bees can go and get completely away from the light. This is like they're on display everywhere. I don't think they would like that. And then the flower pot thing, there's like this white thing coming off the front with one little potted plant in that, and that's just dumb. That's absolutely stupid. Uh, that's going to do very little and nothing for your bees uh, to keep them in enough nectar. and it, it just doesn't even belong there. It looks so stupid. Uh, but the idea and the concept's interesting, and to be fair to Phillips, this is like a, uh, you know, like when they, when a car maker comes out with a car, they actually never plan to, uh, to build that car, uh, the way that they put it out, you know, so it's like a concept car, uh, and then they come out with something that's more user friendly and more practical for the road. Uh, but you take a look at it, but again, I think the design is terrible, even as a concept. Uh, but I'd love to hear from some of you guys that keep bees. Do you agree with me on that, or am I wrong? Am I missing something? Uh, the way they have the cones inside it kind of spiraled, would that actually work well for bees? Will the bees not care if they're surrounded with an amber glass uh, enclosure? Uh, will they be just happy that way, or will it really bother them? Will it disturb them? Will they not be able to get enough darkness like I think? Let me know. love to hear from it in today's show notes in the comment section. Okay, this next one came to me from lots of people, but Clancy is the one whose link I used and pulled up. So Clancy, thanks for sending this in. But I bet you, I bet you 50 to 70 people sent me this in the last few days. Um, this is, this particular report is on SF Gate. So this is the San Francisco Chronicles website. November 10th, Bloomberg, Jefferson County, Alabama declared the largest municipal bankruptcy in U.S. history, capping a more than three year saga that turned it into one of the biggest casualties of Wall Street's credit crisis. The move yesterday by Alabama's most populous county came after state lawmakers failed to back a September agreement with creditors led by J.P. Morgan Chase Company that would have reduced its sewer system debt by more than $3 billion. Governor Robert Bentley and local leaders worked unsuccessfully for two months to rally support for the deal, which fell apart anyway. Quote, we've reached... The last resort, end quote, Commissioner Joe Knight said yesterday at a meeting before the 4-1 to bankruptcy vote. We, quote, we could continue to keep kicking this can down the road, but I think the people of Jefferson County have had enough, end quote. The Chapter 9 filing leaves creditors, including J.P. Morgan, the biggest U.S. bank by, uh, by assets, facing hundreds of millions of dollars in losses 
and may revive concern that defaults might, may rise in the $2.9 trillion municipal bond market. That's the, that's the thing. That's the total municipal bond market right now. Almost $3 trillion are sitting out there. The move also leaves residents of the county that's home to Birmingham, Alabama's, Alabama's largest city, facing uncertainty over how much they may have to spend on sewage fees to repay the debt that led to the debacle. The September Accord provided $1.1 billion in concessions. It also called for an annual sewer rate increase for the first three years of as much as 8.2%, which drew opposition from lawmakers concerned about the burden would place on the poor. It's always about the poor, isn't it? The county also couldn't get signed commitments from creditors, said Commission uh, President David Kerrigan. Cost of the deal. The size of the sewer fee increase became a hurdle because many residents, particularly in Birmingham, can ill afford higher prices. I, I don't know that I believe that. I'm never for the government getting more for anything, honestly, because they do such a poor job of what they have. But I, I just have a hard time believing that the sewer bill is the one bill that's going to break the back of the average American Uh, let me keep going. According to the commissioner, George Bowman, who represents one of the county's two poorest districts and, the, uh, and casts a sole vote against bankruptcy, he said that almost 70% of sewer users reside in the two districts with lower average incomes. Bentley, a Republican, said he was disappointed by the county's move to seek court protection. Quote, the Jefferson County sewer debt crisis has become an impediment to economic growth in the state. The bankruptcy filing will now be an even greater challenge to overcome, he said in a statement. Quote, now we must rise to the new challenge, move forward to bring economic growth and stability to the Birmingham region, and do everything in our power to limit the impact of this decision. Toxic bonds. Jefferson's bankruptcy is the legacy of a sewer project dogged by political corruption. In 2009, J.P. Morgan agreed to $722 million settlement with the Securities and Exchange Commission over payments its bank, bankers allegedly made to people tied to county politicians in order to win business. Former Commissioner Larry Langford was convinced on changes of accepting bribes and shenanigans behind financing-inspired elements of the Dodd-Frank law to protect municipalities. Do you see how great the government is? Um, in 2008, uh, the derivative-laden refinancing set up by J.P. Morgan unraveled this fallout from the subprime mortgage market collapse ripped through Wall Street, sending debt costs soaring. The crisis that spurred led some county residents and businesses to press for bankruptcy rather than bear the full cost alone. Uh, you can read the rest of it. There's actually several pages to this article. Um, what I want to read to you is, uh, is kind of the, the, uh, the end here, uh, the, the conclusion of ass clownery at the end that's always with these things. And here we go. Fewer defaults this year through September, the number of municipal faults fell to only 42. So only 42 cities and counties went bankrupt so far this year. That's, that's comforting. To only $949 million. Why, that's chump change, isn't it, friends? From 79 in the first nine months of 2010. Well, maybe those 79 couldn't re-default, and we should just add a running total here and see how things have gone since the recession began. Amounting to about $2.89 billion. So that's, uh, that's about... $3 billion so far, uh, in, actually $4 billion so far in default since 2010. That's nothing to worry about, is it? To the distressed debt securities, uh, uh, public, according to the debt, distressed debt securities newsletter published by Miami Lakes Florida-based income securities advisor, Inc., the collapse of both Harrisburg and Central Falls 
whose problems were long brewing failed to rattle municipal bond investors. And the same may apply with Jefferson County. Officials there have been considering Chapter 9 since 2008. It's all news. Don't worry about it. Quote, I don't think it will have any huge impact, end quote, said Alan Shankel, director of fixed income research for Janie Montgomery Scott LLC in Philadelphia. Quote, certainly it's not a secret. It's been floating around for quite some time, end quote. He's right about that. Uh, but the problem is, the problem is that people will look at this and say, ah, it's just Jefferson County, it's Alabama, there are a bunch of rednecks down there. What do they know? You know, they can't even run their sewer right. What the bigger problem is, is this is a systemic problem. And every time, like, okay, it's Harrisburg. Oh, it's Harrisburg sucks. And, oh, it's Central Falls. Oh, they're small anyway. It's a little tiny, several-block city. We don't need to worry about that. Uh, you know, it's a Detroit suburb next. You know, uh, Highland Park. Oh, they have to turn their lights on. Ah, it's not that big a deal. It's just everybody knows Detroit's in the dumper anyway. Uh, you know, and that's and that just keeps getting pushed away and pushed away and pushed away and, and written off. But this is the reality. Every city, every city of any major size in the United States of America today is being run the same way. There's corruption. There's banks that have bought their way into these debts. Uh, there's people on the, on the take. And there's massive waste. And there's massive numbers of people retiring from the city and the county that expect to be paid the retirement that they negotiated. And all of it adds up to something that I don't care what you feel about any slice of the pie. If we take all the slices and put them back together, the slice that this guy's supposed to get, the slice that guy's supposed to get, the slice that the creditors are supposed to get, the slice the bank is supposed to get for the money it invested, the slice that each piece and how big those pieces are, you try to put them together, they don't go to one pie. They make like six pies, right? And there's only one pie. So we're at a point where all of these cities have to eventually do this. All of these counties have to eventually do this. And when they do, that's, that's, this is the bomb, right? This is the, the weapon of mass financial destruction. It is tied to the derivatives market. From what I told you at the beginning of the show, you know that I don't think that the total eruption is coming tomorrow. And this is why I'm telling you this, because I keep telling you that it's going to happen, and people keep seeing ways where it gets deferred. And it gets deferred. And eventually you start to think, well, it's never going to happen. I don't want you to, one, panic and think it's going to happen in the next 48 hours, but two, think it's never going to happen. Because we can't pay our bills in this country. We cannot do it. And the only way out, the only way out is the devaluation of money. So exactly what that ends up looking like, I can tell you what I think, but I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But I can tell you it's the only eventual solution. And how slow and long and tedious or how overnight explosive it is, I don't know. But again, I don't think it's tomorrow. And I think we have many indicators it's not tomorrow. But start building solidity in your life now. Build the best life you can for yourself. Use the things that are still working while they're here. Get over the survivalist crap. Well, when the shit hits the van, that won't be here. Well, that's great. When that happens, I hope you have a redundancy plan. I do. But for now, use your car. Right, And no one out there saying that is going, I'm not going to use my car because when the shit hits the fan, there won't be any gas. No, they get in their car every day and they say something stupid like, well, I'm not going to use GPS. <laughs> All right, so use the things that are there in the financial world, in the, in the consumer world, wherever it is, but use it smart and get your ass out of debt, folks. 
There could be no clearer writing on the wall. Here's a question kind of in line with this. This comes from Kathy. She says, you said that we should not contribute to our 401k unless the employer is contributing a, quote, significant amount, end quote. I'm guessing at the significant. I can't remember the exact word you used. Anyway, what is that amount? I stopped contributing. The employer is doing that 3% evening out thing, the deal where the top money makers are putting in more than the bottom ones, so they have to even it out. That's the gist of it. Thanks, Jack. Love, love, love your show. Okay, I don't care why they're doing it. All right, so basically they're doing a match on 3% of your money. So you need to be contributing to your 401k in your situation no more than 3% of your money. That's where you get the match. How much match does it take to lure your 3% of your money in? 3% is pretty low amount. It really is. So I'm not going to freak over it the way that I would about 10%. 10% I'm probably going to be looking to not even meet the employer match unless I have lots of surplus cash to save and invest in other avenues. I'm going to, if I'm putting 10% of my 401k right now, then I want to be putting another 10% into non-tax deferred investments where I can get my hands on the money. Right? Whether that's, I don't care how it's invested, I don't want it in a vehicle where I can't get to my own money. Unless I'm five years from retirement age, and I can get some tax advantage there with like a Roth or something, maybe. But right now, I want to keep some portion of my cash liquid, right? Even if it's invested in a stock or a bond or a mutual fund or whatever it is you decide to invest in, what I mean by liquid is it's a marketable security or cash asset that I can take the money without paying a penalty and interest on it, all right? That's liquid. That's the definition of liquid. Um, let's say you told me that your employer is doing a 1% match on 3%. So you put in $100 and they give you a dollar. No, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. I go buy a flipping CD for that. There's no, there's nothing baiting me into there. And I can, if I do want to invest money in a tax deferred account, I can set up a Roth IRA. I can have complete control. I can move into a cash quality asset within my IRA anytime I want to. I don't have to take the crappy funds and options they give me. But if they're going to give you 10%, so I put in a dollar, they give me 10%. So I put in a hundred dollars, I get 10 bucks. That's a better return than anything you could do right now. Right, And if you just go into the cash equivalent in that account and you make 10% money on the spot, and if you ever leave that job, you roll into IRA, that, 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 that's a good return. You know, over, over five years, it's 2% a year, plus whatever you actually make, and you keep contributing and it keeps compounding. So yeah, uh, you know, that's, that's decent. But it doesn't really get me excited either. If you said, well, I have a 10% match up to 5% and I'm still not going to use it at all. I'm just going to go with a 401k or an IRA because I know what I'm doing and I can do better investments on my own. I'd say rock on. If you got a 50% match of the 3%. That's 50% money. Um, that's 5% a year for five years. Uh, that's really a good guaranteed return. If it's dollar for dollar and it's a 5%, you know, dollar for dollar up to 5%, I'm going to probably max that. Especially if I'm a young person, right? I probably am going to max that out as long as I can do another 5% into a liquid asset class, right? Something that I can, I can exchange for money or take money out of now. I will never, if they did dollar for dollar to 10% and I can only invest 10%, I would never go to the full 10%. I would, I'll do five and I'll take five outside of the system. You've got to have some money outside of the system, Kathy, and everybody else listening. Please understand that. All of these useless idiots that are on TV, like Susie Orman, that always talk about maxing out and just stay for the long haul. They're not doing it. That's not what they do. Right? 
That's not what they do. I guarantee you they have a huge chunk of their money in things that you don't have access to. Don't listen to people telling you what to do with your money unless they can show to you and prove to you they're doing the exact same thing with their own, and this is the important part, and they have a track record of success. Susie Orman and many of the ilk like her on mainstream television have track records of failure with minor spots of success, and whenever they present their bio, they just present the success. Just a thought. All right, um, next one comes from Jared. Jared says, Uncle Jack, hey man, been listening to you for nine months now. Good stuff, thank you for it. I've started prepping to the best of my ability in my family. I watched that video with David Icke. More on that in a second, folks. What can I do to change things? Talking about beans, rice, and bullets is great, but what can little old me do about stopping what's going on in the world? Hope you can point me in the right direction. David Icke is a guy that put out a video on Occupy Wall Street. I put that out on Facebook. I mentioned it in one of the comments on TSP, and uh, I suggested people go look at it, and I put it up on The Real Truth About Money. David Icke is, you know, I have to, I have to tell you all this before I go into answering this guy's question, uh, because if you're going to go look at this video, you need to know some things about David Icke. David Icke is a nut job fruit bat, tin hat crazy person who believes in some kind of weird reptilian theory about the New World Order and reptilian aliens or something like that. And you might think, well, then a person like that should be written off. Not when they're speaking the truth. Not when they're telling you the truth. Not, and the reason I put the video up is because many of you know I don't quote-unquote support the Occupy Wall Street movement. And it's for some of you brain-dead people out there, let me explain something. But they have a right. They have every right in the world to be doing what they're doing. right? I would defend their right to be there and to do what they are doing to my own death doesn't mean I agree with the mentality or think that anything good will come from it. right? So you people that write me these emails about, they have a right. Stop it. Duh. No shit. Just to be blunt with you. Of course they do. That You don't have to believe that somebody's doing the right thing to believe that they have a right to do it and even be willing to defend their right to do it. Yes, you can support the troops even if you disagree with one of their particular missions. All right? I can't be any more blunt with you than that. When I put this video out, it's about 30 minutes long, and you have to realize something about nutjob conspiracy theorists. They analyze everything, and they analyze all the the, 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 the fictional information, and they aver- analyze all the factual information. Well, this video, if you want to know my concerns about Occupy Wall Street, go listen to it, and you will hear David Icke in a completely sentient Uh, grounded, logical analysis, logical warning, and everything you hear him say, whether you agree with him or not, will be factual and will be something you can check out for yourself. And the big reason I put it up is because Ike supports Occupy Wall Street and has the exact same concerns about it I do. Again, he supports it. He thinks it's a good thing. He's more optimistic about me. So the reason I used his video is because his analysis was spot on. He agreed with me. And for those of you that are angry with me, here's one of your own supporters. All right, so you can watch that if you want to. So he watched that video, and that video goes into a lot of things about if the financial system is going to be replaced, fine, but we better know what we're going to replace it with 
before we decide it needs to be replaced. And all of these dangers and things like, you know, fractional reserve banking and where the real problems are and making sure that since he's again he's advising these people and he supports them, these are the things you need to focus on. It's the Federal Reserve and this movement toward world government and everything else. And he's dead on with it all. So then Jared looks at this and says, well, what the hell can I do to stop all this? And even though I went into a lot of details about this, and I'm, I'm doing the best I can to not even bring up Occupy Wall Street anymore, folks. I really am. But when there's legitimate concerns and questions, we need to talk about it. If there's a potential riot, we need to talk about it. And if something like this comes in, we need to talk about it. Um, and where I stand and where you stand, they don't have to be the same place on this thing to understand the dangers around it. But it's bigger than that. Because there's any individual thing you can look at. You can look at Monsanto destroying the earth, which is what they're doing. They're ravaging farmers' fields to the point where there's nothing left but a sterile sponge where soil used to be and saying, buy all our chemicals and you can still grow stuff. Right? You can look at that. You can look at the politicians and you can realize that the left and right sides of the aisle don't even really make that big of a difference that they're both doing the same thing and we're heading to hell in a handbasket. You can look at the European debt crisis. You can look at the nonsense and lies around the climate change crap and see that they don't want to do a damn thing to stop pollution. They only want to tax carbon dioxide. Carbon monoxide, whatever, right? I messed that one up. Oh, God, somebody's going to die now. Get over it, right? They want to tax CO2. Right? That's what they want to do. It has nothing to do with stopping pollution. If you want to stop pollution, you stop pollution. You say, that's pollution, don't do it anymore. You don't tax what we exhale. And so you can look at that. And you can look at that from the complete opposite side and think that that is the problem and the polar bears are all going to die. And you can look at all of these things, right? We could be in complete diametric opposition on an issue and both of us know we're still going to hell in a handbasket and you think the solution's on one side and I think the solution's on another. And we can argue with each other about that, but we both still go, yeah, we're, we're heading off a cliff here. And it's very easy to feel overwhelmed. It's very easy to have anxiety like I talked about uh, last week with the guy that I brought on to talk about that. And it's, it's very easy to say, well, if I'm not changing the world, then it doesn't really matter. I need, to, I need to be part of the solution to this and figure out where my role is and how do I fix it. You know what I'm going to say, most of you that have listened for a while. Change yourself. The revolution is you. You can't control the ass clowns in Washington. We can get rid of some of them from time to time. We bring good people in in the industries and corporations because of the way the system is, go in and buys them up. And very few of them, and there are a few, stand their ground and don't get bought. But you only have to buy the majority. That's how our system works. If you have control over the majority, and I don't mean the majority party, I mean the majority of people, right? You could have Democrats and Republicans in your pocket, and, and, and you could have them fighting supposedly over 5% of what's going on, and the public's attention on that 5%, and the other 95% they completely agree on and do stuff, and we don't even see it, because we don't pay attention, because in this country, the average person can only have the mental acuity to be angry about one or two things at a time. So the answer is, can't fix it all. You're not going to get rid of the Federal Reserve tomorrow. It's going to take a societal shift, an awakening, and a willingness to educate ourselves as a people before enough people get together and say it's got to go. And it ain't going to happen tomorrow. And we're not going to get rid of uh, agricultural practices that are destroying the planet tomorrow either. That's going to be another long-term shift. And a lot more damage is going to be done before we fix it. So we fix our own one square acre, and we prove that it can be done. And we demonstrate that it can be done. And we do it with action. And we start to realize that just because you and I do not agree 
about what the real cause of the pollution is, that if we both take care of our acre or our five acres or our three acres or our one-quarter acre suburban lot the right way, that we can both look at each other and agree that we're stopping the problem. If we look at the debt problem, and we come up with ten different ways that we think that the government should handle and the corporation should handle, and we all disagree with that, and we all want to fight about it, or we can all focus on our own bank accounts. We can solve our own individual debt problems. And then if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, at least we have control over our own lives. That's how you make a difference. Your belief, Jared, that what you're doing for yourself is not enough is false. It's the most powerful thing you can do. And you'll find something. The most animate, eco-hippie, leftist nut job in my viewpoint who thinks I'm a right-wing nut job. He and I will agree on what we should be doing as individuals. We'll be in complete agreement. We'll disagree about what the government's role is and what we think industry's role is and all of that stuff. But when it comes to how we manage our backyard, we'll be 90 to 95% in sync with each other. Maybe that's what we should focus on then. Maybe that's where the solution is then. Maybe the revolution really is you, if that's the case. Maybe your little backyard six garden beds actually matter more than any sign that you could paint, any slogan that you could chant. Maybe you paying off the Visa card, cutting it up into little pieces, and have a ceremony in your backyard where you get the whole family around and say, this is our day of freedom, and you burn it, and you watch it melt into coals. Maybe that actually matters more than whether Italy is able to solve its debt crisis or not. Maybe, just maybe, everything this crazy nutjob survivalist named Jack Spirico has been telling you for all this time about how key you are to your own solution really is true. And maybe it really is up to you to take care of yourself and your family and your neighbors. And maybe that really is your role in leadership. And maybe it's the greatest leadership role you could ever fill. Just maybe. Think about that. All right, kind of trying to end on an up note. Um, I have a really cool article that was sent to me by uh, D. I'm just going to call him D because he doesn't give me a first name, just first initial, and I don't give out last names unless people tell me that's okay. And uh, he sends me this thing. It says, Aussie Airdrop Harvests Moisture from Thin Air. I think what I'll do instead of reading you the article, there's a video uh, here, and I'll go ahead and play for you the audio of this video. You'll want to tune in. And, uh, and check it out for yourself on YouTube and actually watch the video with the, uh, with the stuff that you can see to help you out. But this, if you're driving in your car or whatever, will be good enough. And I'll come back with you with my thoughts on this, both positive and some concerns. And I don't even know whether my concerns are founded. It's just something that, um, I don't know. I'll, we'll, we'll start out and I'll come back and I'll give you my thoughts. We'll listen to it together. G'day, my name's Ed Lineker. I created the Airdrop Irrigation System and uh, it's basically a response to uh, the devastating effects of drought. There's a big search for um, alternative sources of water and there's many technologies out there, desalinisation and even tapping into sacred water storage or ground reserves like the Artesian Basin, looking for water where there's just an abundant um, resource of water in the air that surrounds us. And um, even in the places, even in places like the Najib Desert in Israel, which is one of the most, the, one of the driest deserts um, on the planet, there's a, a content of moisture in the air. And all you need to do is reduce that air down to a certain temperature, and you release that moisture. And there are water harvesting 
uh, technologies out there, but there's very few low-tech solutions. A low-tech solution is, is perfect for, for rural farmers, something that they can install, something that they can maintain themselves, and, um, and what it's doing is basically taking that water out of the air and irrigating their crops with that water, basically putting the water back into the roots of plants where it belongs and where it has evaporated from. And so that's exactly what airdrop irrigation does. It, it takes the water that's in the air, it feeds it through the network of, um, of uh, piping, and this, which has been developed over weeks and weeks of prototyping, is a really efficient means of creating water through the production of condensation. And so all that water then collects in an um, underground rainwater tank and is then pumped back through to the roots of plants via subsurface ir drip irrigation, which is a low-pressure system for um, irrigating crops. And it's all very low-tech. It doesn't need a specialised um, unit to come and install it. It's easy to install, simply like installing a rainwater tank. And then that's what I wanted. I wanted farmers to be able to, to install this themselves. So, you know, they didn't have to get anybody out, and especially for maintenance. The whole thing has been designed so you can deconstruct it for maintenance while it's still in the ground, and uh, you can um, build it back again after you've repaired it. Uh, the one that I made in the backyard at Mum's house uh, was creating about a litre of water in, in a day, and that was a very small scaled down system. But I proved the concept works, and um, therefore then it can be implemented on large scales for large, you know, agricultural use. I think it would be best I went ahead and read the little write-up that is on uh, Australian Popular Science uh, website uh, that goes with this before I give you my comments and my thoughts about it. The James Dyson Award winners for 2011 have been announced, and their grand prize winner is a piece of clever biomimicry that sits so perfectly in our wheelhouse that we couldn't resist the urge to write about it. Edward Lancier of Swiss Mine University Technology in Melbourne has tapped the Nambib beetle, a desert-dwelling species that survives in the most arid conditions on Earth, to create an irrigation system that can pull liquid moisture straight out of dry desert air. Airdrop, as the system is known, borrows a trick from the Nambib beetle, which can live in areas that receive just about half an inch of rain per year by harvesting the moisture from the air that con condenses on its back during uh, the early morning hours. A hydro, hydropho, hydrophilic skin helps snare water, water molecules passing on a breeze, which then accumulate into droplets of consumable liquid water. Airdrop mimics this idea, throw on a larger scale. The self-powered device pumps air into a network of underground pipes, where it cools enough for water to condense. From there, the moisture delivered to the roots of nearby plants Lancer's calculations show about 11.5 milliliters can be harvested from every cubic meter of air, and further development could raise the number even higher. Such a system could provide regular moisture to plants being grown in the world's driest desert regions, and because it's so low cost and self-powered, there's not a lot of investment or maintenance involved in deploying the airdrop. The $14,000 award from Dyson... Uh, Swiss Burn also gets an additional 14,000 should help speed that along. She's got 28 grand to develop this thing with now. This year's runner-up included a heavily deployable divider for medical settings that lets healthcare professionals make the most of blah, 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 blah. Okay. So here's my thoughts on this. If you take this system, and he's got one that he's showing, and I'm guessing this is a scale model, and this thing would be a hell of a lot larger. This isn't something like you'd have a hundred of them out there, uh, and each one of those hundred supporting ten plants, though 
that might actually be more efficient. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I gotta, I want to know more about this. My concern though is if you took this system and you used it in all these really, really dry areas to start harvesting moisture from the air, the, the, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? You've, you've heard that? Well, then we're making the dry air drier. Do we actually then contribute if we did this? I mean, 20 guys doing it, 200 guys doing it, 2,000 guys doing it. No way. But if we started to make this an industrial level product in of itself and did monocropping in the conventional way we do where there is water, do we actually create more droughts and drier air and more problems? And my gut is because there is no free lunch, yes. I think it would take a massive scale implementation. But my other view is if we use a system like this and we don't monocrop and we permaculture, And for every acre of harvestable vegetables and annual plantings, we do a half acre of shrubs and trees and bushes. And we do that. Then we actually can take areas that are dry and we can create more rain. Trees make rain. We have a greater humidity rise when we have more forest. That means these systems would actually work more efficient and the two spiral into each other. I'm highly intrigued with this product. I think that this product used in conjunction with technologies like swales and hugel culture and other things that we've learned in the permaculture landscape could be absolutely phenomenal. And I wanted to put something on at the end of this show that is one of those things that gives you hope, that makes you feel good about your future. In spite of all the stupidity, the reason I believe I can give you an answer like I did earlier to, to what can I do focused on yourself is because I believe that if everybody does focus on themselves... People like this will innovate new solutions to our old problems. Every time society gets to a point where there's no way to fix it, somehow, because it's important enough to us, we figure out how to fix it. Sometimes a few million or a few hundred million people end up dead before it's over with, but sooner or later we figure out how to fix it. So we know society is going to go through these ebbs and flows. But anything short of the sun exploding or a giant comet smacking Earth, right, Someone's going to be here to carry on and rebuild. And if that someone's us, we need to be prepared for it. And we need to be prepared with some solemn tones as well, where we go, man, this could get really bad, and I need to be prepared to defend my family by force if necessary. But we also need to prepare with optimism. And that's why I like to bring the two sides together. You need to be an empowered prepper, not a fearful prepper. That's why when I get approached by the media and they want to do stupid crap like doomsday preppers and apocalypse this and end of the world that, I tell them all to go fly a flipping kite. Hopefully with a brass key like uh, Ben Franklin did, but hopefully dumb enough to be using a brass wire when they do it, and maybe they'll electrocute themselves and do the world a favor. Maybe at least get some good quality electroshock therapy or basically get a horizontal dirt nap membership society and go on and get out of our way. Because that's not what we do. It's not what we're about. We're about doing the best we can with whatever we have and making sure that everything we do makes us better off, even if nothing goes wrong. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way.
Revolution is you. 